If you'll take your Bibles, please, and turn to Psalm 37. Taking a couple weeks off and going through a couple of the Psalms. I like to do that every summer. Um, I thought about doing Psalm 1, 2, and 3, which I think is a foundation, of course, for the, the book of Psalms. They were put together. They or- ordered. They were put together. So, so it forms kind of, a, kind of a foundation of knowing what the books are. You have to realize it's not just the hymnal. The book of Psalms was the hymnal, but it was also the prayer book. The book of Psalms helps you know how to appropriately pray. And so when you, when you look at just how wide the psalms are, you're looking at a person's heart, just how wide that our, that our problems are, the things that we need to trust God for, the things we wrestle with, the things that we don't understand, things that are in our lives that are normal to our lives that shouldn't be there, that somehow our theology makes us think that God should be different. And God is totally fine. He just stays still. He's never erratic. He never, he never flusters just because we're flustering. And he's decided to do things the way he's decided to do it. And what he does in our life is he allows us to suffer. He allows us to struggle. And the Holy Spirit helps us. And at the end, we'll see. And no one's going to give you the reason why God does all that he does. We're just going to have to say God is God. But God has designed the world as he pleases, and sometimes it looks like that things are wrong and God's not doing what he promised. And he lets his people stir. He lets his people soak. And then he lets his people know that he's there. And when we're convinced that he's there, then we trust him to be God. And that is a hard, hard thing. It's not easy. You don't give nice, quick, easy little moral lessons as somehow we're adopting a philosophy. The Christian faith is not philosophy. The Christian faith is following God when we don't understand, but trusting who we're trusting, knowing who it is what we're trusting. So in Psalm 37, it starts off, fret not thyself because of evildoers. So what is it that all of us struggle with that makes us somehow think that God hasn't done what he's promised, that God is allowing us to have these questions and struggle through, um, and he's going to help us. And I believe that he's going to help us in the psalm. He's not going to give us all the answers. He's not going to tell us why that he does everything that he does. He's not going to basically reveal everything about himself. He reveals what we need to know. So, um, I don't know if you've ever had children, but you trust children with things only when you can trust them. For instance, if they have to have a ticket to get on the airplane, I keep the tickets until 10 seconds before they hand it to the lady. Okay? I do not say, hey, I've got a seven-year-old on an airplane. I'm just going to give them the ticket and be sure you keep it because it's not going to happen. You wait until the very last second, and then when there's no way they can mess it up, you give them a ticket and you say, give it to the lady. And that's exactly what you do. God does that with us. God is fine with showing us love, but he has designed his world in ways that we somehow scratch our heads. And so this is Psalm 37, the Psalm of David. 
Fret not thyself because of evildoers, neither be thou envious against the workers of iniquity, for they shall soon be cut down like the grass, and wither as the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good, so shalt thou dwell in the land, and verily thou shalt be fed. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Commit thy way unto the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. And he shall bring forth thy righteousness as the light, and thy judgment as the noonday. Rest in the Lord, and wait patiently for him. Fret not thyself because of him who prospereth in his way, because of the man who bringeth wicked devices to pass. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not thyself in any wise do evil. For evildoers shall be cut off, but those that wait upon the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. For yet a little while, and the wicked shall not be. Yea, thou shalt diligently consider his place, and, and it shall not be. But the meek shall inherit the earth and shall delight thyself in the abundance of peace. The wicked plots against the just and gnashes upon him with his teeth. The Lord shall laugh at him, for he seeth that his day is coming. The wicked have drawn out the sword and bent their bow to cast down the poor and needy and to slay such as be of upright conversation. Their sword shall enter into their own heart and their bows shall be broken. A little that the righteous man hath is better than the riches of many wicked. For the arms of the wicked shall be broken, but the Lord upholdeth the righteous. The Lord knoweth the days of the upright, and their inheritance shall be forever. They shall not be ashamed in the evil time, and in the days of famine they shall be satisfied, but the wicked shall perish, and the enemies of the Lord shall be as fat as uh, uh, fat of lambs. They shall consume into smoke, shall they consume away. The wicked borroweth and payeth not again, but the righteous showeth mercy and giveth. For such be blessed of him that shall inherit the earth, and they that be cursed of him shall be cut off. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholdeth him with his hand. I have been young, and now am old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. He is ever merciful and lendeth, and his seed is blessed. Depart from evil and do good, and dwell forevermore, for the Lord loveth judgment, and forsakes not his saints. They are preserved forever, but the seed of the wicked shall be cut off. The righteous shall inherit the land and dwell in therein forever. The mouth of the righteous speaks wisdom, and his tongue talketh of judgment. The law of his God is in his heart, and none of his steps shall slide. The wicked watches the righteous and seeketh to slay him, and the Lord will not leave him in his hand, nor condemn him when he's judged. Wait on the Lord and keep his way, and he shall exalt thee to inherit the land. When the wicked are cut off, thou shalt see it. I have seen the wicked in great power, and spreading himself like a green bay tree. 
Yet he passed away, and lo, he was not. Yea, I sought for him, but he could not be found. Mark the perfect man, and behold the upright, for the end of that man is peace. But the transgressors shall be destroyed together. The end of the wicked shall be cut off, but the salvation of the righteous is of the Lord. He is the strength of the time and trouble, and the Lord shall help them and deliver them. He shall deliver them from the wicked and save them because they trust in him. May God add his blessing to the public reading of his word. Have you ever wondered why that, that the righteous suffer, but yet the wicked seem to not suffer? If God has promised to destroy the wicked, but yet to preserve the righteous, but yet you look and you see absolute horrible things, not just annoying things. We see a lot of annoying things. But in this world, there are absolute awful things happening to godly people and to their children. David never saw a godly man begging for bread or his children in the streets begging. But I believe there are Christians this day who would need to send their children out to beg. I believe it's true because they're horribly oppressed. And how is it possible that wicked people who will forever endure torment are allowed to be in power over people who have put their trust in God, but yet it seems that nothing ever happens? This is not just for us. This is not a problem that we have. Now, I don't believe that the world has problems with this because I don't know many people that, that have not put their faith in Christ that even believe the world is fair at all. I don't think most people think the world is fair. You teach your children that the world's not fair, that get, you know, either get yours fast, do unto others before they do unto you. I mean, I, I, that's the lessons that most people are learning all the time because the world isn't fair, so get yours while you can. Okay, beat somebody else out for it. But God has, the, the Christian has this worry, has this concern, has this problem because they believe that there is justice, that God is the judge and that God sees all and can do all and is within infinite power. He can do as he please. Why on earth would he let horrible things happen to the ones who trusted him while good things seem to be happening to the ones who are his sworn enemies? That is a big problem. Let me show you some of the ones that's had big problems with this. This is Job 21. Wherefore do the wicked live? Become old, yea, or mighty in power. Their seed is established in the sight with them, and their offspring before their eyes. Their houses are not safe from fear, neither is the rod of God upon them. Their bull gendereth and faileth not. Their cow calves, and casteth not her calf. They send forth their little ones like a flock, and their children dance. They make the timbrel and harp and rejoice at the sound of the organ. They spend their days in wealth and in a moment go down to the grave. Wherefore, they say unto God, depart from us. We desire not the knowledge of thy ways. What is the Almighty that we should serve him? And what profit should we have if we pray to him? That's, this is Job. Job is as old as Abraham. And he had this problem. This is Jeremiah. Righteous art thou, O Lord. When I plead with thee, let me talk with thee of thy judgments. Wherefore doth the way of the wicked prosper? Wherefore are all they happy that deal very treacherously? Thou hast planted them. Yea, they have taken root and grow. Yea, they bring forth fruit. Thou art near in their mount and far in their reins. 
near in their mouth and far in their reins. Do you know people like that? I know people like that. Near in their mouth and far from their reins. This is Malachi. And now we call the proud happy. Yea, they think they work wickedness are set up. Yea, they tempt God are even delivered. They who tempt God are even delivered. We're not talking about people who think nothing of God and are living their life in, in comfort. These are people that in God's face tempt him, but yet seem to be within total power. That is a mystery to godly people because we do believe there's justice. This is Habakkuk. Thou art of pure eyes than to behold evil. And canst thou not look on iniquity? Therefore, lookst thou upon them that deal treacherously, and holds thy tongue when the wicked devoureth the men that is more righteous than he? How is it possible that a wicked man who hates you could kill an innocent, godly man, and you are their God, and you are allowing him to have power even unto death to your saints? That is a mystery to people. And David is now dealing with this. But can you see that God is in his longer passage? God is helping us as he is instructing us. Not to say, well, here are the reasons why that this is true. Here's the reasons why I've designed the world this way. It should make sense to you, and I'm sorry it doesn't. Let me change things. It doesn't work that way. God has designed this world for a thousand reasons. Now, just to look into to Brian's heart. Yes, Mr. Rick read Psalm 73, and he said, I look and see these people who shake their fists at God, and their, their fat is so abundant. They're, they do nothing. They don't have any problems. They don't have problems like other men, he said. But then it was not until I came into the house of the Lord that I understood their end. When I understood their end, then I realized that I shouldn't be jealous of them. Why would I be jealous of someone who has God's curse upon them forever? So that is a problem. I, I know that feeling, but I chose Miss Rhonda's verse because it was me who was dead in trespasses and sins. I'm the one who walked the course of this world just like everyone else. I was the wicked. And if I chased God down to destroy the wicked, I might be caught up with the wicked. So I am thankful that my heart beats enough that I came to a knowledge of Christ. That God's mercy in this world is beyond us. And when we look back upon the tapestry that's, that it can only be seen from the other side, and we realize what all those knots are for, I'll put my hand over my mouth and say, God, you did all things well. All things well things I understood and the things I didn't understand, the things I loved and the things I didn't like, the theology that I said amen to and the theology that I said amen to. Because you are God beyond me and beyond my apprehension of you. And how you decide to, to raise me up is how it happens. So when Miss Miranda said, it's the scars that brought me to you, that's absolutely the truth. I'm ashamed of my sins. But it was my broken life that allowed me to look up and see that there was a Savior for me. So it's not that God wants me to sin, but he'll take those sins and use them in my life. 
So I'm not going to look at the wicked. I can secretly say, how is it possible that God will let this person live and this person die? I do have that problem. But I'm not going to look at a person who has more and has easier and doesn't, doesn't suffer as, as I know other saints have suffered. I'm not going to look at it so much. It's because God is teaching me the truth. This is the voice of truth that we're listening to. And when we can listen to it with faith and hold on to it, though we can't see, then God allows us to be used in this life. We have rest in our hearts. Martin Luther said, you pray, let God worry. I like that. Well, you let God worry. So if I, if I can let God worry, then I, then I am okay because I know that I'm not having to clean up anything. God is working, and he's working well. So let's look through. First, I wrote, um, I stole the, the um, titles from, from a book. Um, but then once I stole the titles, I knitted the rest. So the first one I wrote down was a remedy for worrying. This is fret. You know, fretting is worrying. It's an old grandma word for worrying. My grandma used to say fret. Don't you fret yourself, honey. This is back to verse 1. Don't fret because of evildoers. Neither be envious against the workers of iniquity, for they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Thou shalt dwell in the land and thou shalt verily be fed. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Is that a memory verse for you? I remember memorizing that years ago. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he'll give you the desires of your heart. Be careful your theology is good with that verse. Commit thy way into the Lord. Trust in him, and he shall bring it to pass. And he shall bring forth thy righteousness as the light, and the judgment as the noonday. Such a, such a good passage. Six verses. Could have easily been a full pass, a full sermon. So we're more on the ten thousand feet going up. So when you see that the prosperity of the wicked is only temporary, then you have to, you then have to say, I wonder why. Maybe you don't know why. Maybe God won't tell us why. But there's a reason why. Why is that person in power? <clears throat> why is that wicked person in power over people who have to deal with them? Why doesn't God simply remove them? He's a person made out of dirt like everybody else. Why doesn't God remove him and allow godliness to come? A uh, thousand reasons. thousand, thousand reasons. Some of it could be judgment. Don't forget that, that as people are sinning against God, there's judgment on those people. And some of it is the leaders that they have is a judgment. God will give them the, what, not what they deserve. There's still grace with God. But... Some of that is a judgment. Some of it is so that you can pray. Some of it is so that you can oppress or oppose. Um, but I wrote down Exodus 9. And for this very reason, I have raised thee up to show my power that thy name may be declared throughout all the earth. So why, Pharaoh, are you on the throne? When my people are at your mercy, that you can control whether they live or die, you can, by your very verdict, say, take all the male children and throw them to the crocodiles. When those are mine, that you have power, I have raised you up so that I can cast you down. Now, that's what Pharaoh was told, that he was given all of that, whatever Pharaoh, the God, Pharaoh who gets to be in the constellation Orion one day, 
the, the ones who were God from the time they were born to the time that, that they went on to be in the stars, God said, listen, Pharaoh, I put you in that position, and I put you in that position so that when I cast you down, it will be glorious. Don't forget that there's, not, there's a devil in this world. There's a devil with great power who's done great harm, and he was not omnipotent. This is not the devil and God with a tug-of-war rope. One side wins and then another side wins. It doesn't work that way. The devil is infinitely a creature. And God is infinite in all ways. He was made by him to do his will. He is a dog on a chain. He's a dog on a chain serving a purpose. And usually serving a purpose in the lives of the godly. If you never do anything except watch TV all day and sit there, you'll be soft in every way. God wants you up. He wants you working. He wants you doing something. He wants you lifting heavy rocks. Gives you muscles. Okay? And then the ladies like that. Okay? So it's the way that you want the body, but you don't want the work. It doesn't work that way. God lets us oppose the devil, and then he'll destroy the devil. I have raised you up that I might cast you down. So you, you have to realize that in, when you look at a wicked person, you need to see the eyes of God. I'm not his judge. I don't say, I had a lady one time say, I, I damn you to hell in Jesus' name. And I said, gracious goodness, you can't damn someone to hell in Jesus' name. I damn you to hell. She just decided she could do anything she wanted. She damned somebody. I was like, you can't damn people to hell. You stop it. Go sit down. That whole idea that somehow I have a reason to look and I can judge, I can't judge. The Apostle Paul killed Christians and then went on to write two-thirds in the New Testament. God has mercy and can do anything he pleases. And I ask that he would have grace upon the wicked and the wicked in high places. You pray for people in high places. Pray them pray into the kingdom. Because they still, have the, they still have who they are and God can use it in any way that they want. So a remedy for worrying okay, is to trust in the Lord. Look at verse 3. Do good. Trust in the Lord. Do good. Then you shall dwell in the land and you shall be fed. Now, d don't think that you work for your salvation. But this is repentance. You trust in the Lord. Stop trusting whatever you're trusting. Trust in the Lord and do right as proof that you've repented. John the Baptist said, signs meet for repentance. You show what you, that you're repenting through what you do. And you will dwell in the land. That land that right now is not Palestine anymore. God had bigger, bigger plans for the land than Palestine. This whole idea that we will dwell with him and you shall verily be fed. I'll take care of you. You trust God. Don't you be the judge. Look forward, delight yourself in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Oh, Lord, won't you buy me a Mercedes Benz? My friends all have Porsches. Do you know that one? Okay, that's how old we are. The desires of your heart is based upon your delighting yourself in God, right? You delight yourself in God, and suddenly there's a transformation that happens in your wicked heart. To where now somehow you desire those things that you never desired. And the things that you once just panted after <clears throat> mean nothing at all to you anymore. 
So you des the desires of your heart is that God said there's hope for you. Don't look at a hopeless situation because you have a king who doesn't know me. That, you know, that there's a king in Egypt that knows not Joseph. God's okay with that. He's all right. You trust God. You will barely be fed. Delight yourself in him. He gives you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord and trust in him. This is verse 5. And he shall bring it to pass. He shall bring it to pass. There will be a time when all of the future is now past. And you can look back and go, oh, that's why it worked that way. That's, what, that's why it was that way. All, if you would have had your way in the past, you would have messed up this world. You just have to remember that. If everything you prayed for came true, this world would be worse than it is now. So you have to trust God that he is tr taking what you are asking in real, genuine faith <clears throat> and dealing with it as he pleases. And you pray in his will and anything, can, anything is yours. But you, he will give you the desires of your heart as you're delighting in him. And then look at the promise. He shall bring forth your righteousness as the light and your judgment as the noonday. So those people who are trusting in me will have more than they could have imagined. So, in, so I am still in control, even though it appears that wickedness is reigning in this world. It's not. Going on until 7, it's the remedy for resentment. Because it's not just worry. It's not your fretting that's your main problem. Because you worry and then you stop worrying and then you start resenting. That idea that, and I suppose there's, our sin, of course, gets mixed into that. We, we, are, we be, are jealous. We want the good guys to win. We don't want the bad guys to win. We don't want the bad guys to, to beat up and take the milk money of the, of the other kids and then, then flaunt it. We, everybody wants the good, happy ending where the bad guy gets got. There's no, there's no good book like a book with a bad guy that gets got because that's justice. It's what we want. It's how we're made. We're made. And God is like, the story's not over. The story's not over. That's, that's amazing. So we resent that unfairness. And it's, it's interesting. I wrote down Isaiah 46. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there's none else. I am God, there's none like me, declaring the end from the beginning. And from ancient times, the things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel will stand, I will do all my pleasure. I will tell you what I'm going to do in the future. And then I'm going to give you my spirit in such a way that you believe me. And now while you can't see, it's the same as seeing. Christian hope is as if it were sight, but it's not. It's faith. But one day, faith will be gone. Right? Faith, hope, and love. Faith, hope, and charity. These things remain. Uh-uh. Only charity lasts at the end. Because faith, one day we're not going to need faith. We're going to see it. Just the same as if it's in our face. Hope. There is no Christian hope forever because there will be a day that we will have what we hope for. It's not just pie in the sky. It is God saying, I am God and I do all things as I please. And I tell you what's going to happen at the beginning, what I'll do at the end. And if you trust me, you will, for whatever reason, above your brains and above your heart, be able to simply say, that's going to happen. 
That will happen. I know it's going to happen, though I don't know how. That's, that's pretty cool. The other night we were playing a game, and Aaron was getting a million dollars a month. A million dollars a month. She lost. You can't, you can't, always, tr- you can't always predict what the end's going to be. You can't say that someone has got power now, so therefore they're going to win. That's not always the case. And, some, and any good story is a good story because what's going to happen to someone who is powerless, who ends up at the end to be the winner? That's why we feel good about stories like that, because it's what we want. Now, I'm a little wimpy. Emma's like me. We only want to watch movies that we've already watched before, because then when the plot happens, we're okay with it because I know what's going to happen at the end. But I don't like movies I haven't seen before because I don't know what's going to happen. And when, the, when it looks like it's going to happen and so bad, I don't like the stress. It's stressful. That's a stressful. And your life is stressful because we don't know. That's why God tells us the end from the beginning. And if you'll trust him, if you'll trust him, you will live a life with a sweeter rest, right? The end of that man shall be peace is what it says here. The end of that man shall be peace. If a person who's truly trusting and can see that God can see the end and you can trust him to tell you that it's okay, then it's okay. Otherwise, you're going to simply do like everybody else and fret yourself out and be resentful. It's a resentful thing. What does it say? What are their ends? What is the promise? This is verse 9. Everdoers shall be cut off. Those that wait upon the Lord shall inherit the earth. Now, Jesus did that, didn't he? Who will inherit the earth? The meek. The meek are the ones in power with your power in control. Your power is in control. You, You are in control of yourself the same way Jesus was in control of himself. The same Jesus who was glorious, more glorious than Solomon, yet lived as as a homeless man. This is a meek person. These are the people that will inherit the earth, all of it. Now, what's the future? So it's going to give you two parts. There's the future of the wicked and then the future of the righteous. Let's look at verse 12. The wicked plots against the just, gnashes upon him with his teeth. The Lord shall laugh at him. For he sees his day coming. The wicked have drawn the sword and have bent their bows to cast the poor and needy and to slay such as of our upright conversation. Their sword shall enter into their own heart and their bows shall be broken. So you have this idea that there will be forever, and it's in this town, it's in this state, it's in this country. There are people who hate God who hate you. And they really do hate you. And they really would oppose you at all points if they could. Why? Because they have decided to stand against Almighty God. And they don't want, they plot against those with an upright conversation. Why did Cain kill Abel? Because Abel had an upright conversation. So Cain killed him. He was enraged. He couldn't stand it. There's a fury because he couldn't kill God. So he has to kill Cain or he had to kill Abel. It's the same way with me. It's the same way with you. It's the same way with the wicked in this world. And so what we need to realize, this is happening. But the Lord laughs at him. And it's not a thinking he's funny. It's a, it's a laugh of scorn. He's, it's, a, it's a laugh where it's a contempted laugh. The Lord is laughing at him because he knows him. Now, when he, he knows the wicked, he knows the end of the wicked. And then in the next 
passage, he's knowing the righteous. I know you, and I know where you're going to end up. There is a, there are two kinds of laughs. There is, when you know something someone else doesn't know, you can laugh in one of two ways. You can laugh when a wicked man thinks he, that he's got you where he wants you, and God knows his end. There's a laugh there. And there's also the laugh of the poor man sitting on the dung pile where the poor man doesn't realize that there is a treasure under the dung. And the Lord is watching, knowing exactly what's going to happen, and is laughing in that way too. The Lord laughs at us in glee. The Lord laughs at us thrilled and tickled because look at what I'm going to do to the weak, to the unable, to the, to the not smart, to the not rich, to the not powerful. Watch what I can do with them. I can take them and make them into my own trophies. And I can take Mr. Power Player and squish him to the ground. The same. God laughs in both cases, which I just think is funny. The Lord shall have him in derision. So Psalm 2 comes to mind. Only this is the kings of the world. The kings of the world God laughs at. The kings of the world who have set themselves in array against God and against his anointed one saying, we don't want his bands. We don't want him, thank you very much. We'll do as our please. And God goes, really? <laughs> Watch this. I pulled you up so that I can cast you down. God is in control. Their sword shall enter into their own heart, and their bow shall be broken. That's, that's pretty amazing. Here's the life of the righteous. We're in 16. The little that a righteous man has is better than the riches of, the weak, of many wicked because the arm shall be broken, but the Lord upholds the righteous. Now, I, I could take that one verse and make a sermon out of it. Think about it. Whose arms got broken and whose arms carried me? There's two sets of arms in this, in this same sentence. The wicked man's arms shall be broken, meaning that he now can't do what he wants to do. But the Lord takes his arms and carries me. He doesn't give me strength in my arms. I think that's interesting. He doesn't give me strength in my arms. He uses his strong arms, and he carries me with them. But the arms of a strong man that's thinking that he has what he wants will be broken. And it says, the, the Lord knows the days of the upright. See the nose? In the last verse, he knew the end of the wicked, and he laughs at them as a result. But he knows the end of the righteous, and he laughs kind of in a, in a loving way about us. That God would laugh at me makes me happy. That God can see me past where I can see me makes me happy, gives me, gives me hope. Because he's going to take me way farther than I want to go. I only want to go this far. I only want a little, a little cabin in glory land. And God's like, oh, brother, no, 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 thank you. I'll, no, let me, let, I'm driving. Let me show you where we're going. I, you're not going to get a little mansion, a little cabin in glory land, I'm sorry. Because God gets glory for giving you glory. He's going to get glory for giving you glory. He's going to take us and do something uh, so great that he gets the glory for it, from it. Do you remember Solomon from Sunday school? Queen of Sheba looks and he, she, she's thunderstruck because look at his servants, how they're dressed. Now, how in the world would she be impressed with what the, the maids are wearing? It brings Solomon glory that, he can, that his staff wears better than most kings. 
And that's what God is. God's going to get glory by giving us reward for the things he did in our lives. That's awesome. That's awesome. The life of the righteous. The, it says, their inheritance shall be forever. They shall not be ashamed of the evil time. In the days of famine, they shall be satisfied. The wicked shall perish. And the enemies shall be as the fat of lambs or the flowers of the field. That are showy and fancy and will be gone and up in smoke in a minute. They shall not be afraid of the evil time and the days of famine. So do you realize we will go through days of famine and we'll go through days of evil times. But during those times of evil times, he'll hold us. We'll go through it, but he'll hold us. And we won't perish, but they will perish like a flowers of fields, like the daylilies. So the other, the other night, Rick and Rhonda came over to have pizza. I know I'm learning how to make pizza. You're going to be invited. You're coming. And on the way home, I walked home from school the other day, and on the way home, I picked some daylilies that were growing alongside the road. And I had a beautiful bouquet of daylilies, gorgeous. Do you know why they're called daylilies? They are lovely for one day. And then by that night, the same day that you picked them, they are completely shriveled and dried and gone. That's what God looks. He goes, you're daylilies. You're daylilies. And we who are self-important and think that we're so, so hot stuff, God even smiles because he loves his own. He loves his own. And when you're acting like a moron, God will correct you. But he wants you to simply trust him. So he lets your little sandcastle fall to, fall to pieces and that you've put all of your energy into. You spent all day making a sandcastle, and then the water comes and you cry, and God pats you on the head. Don't worry, okay? I've got more for you than a sandcastle. I've got more for you. God has to tell us the truth. Here's the security. This is 23. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. So... One of the only movies that I ever filmed was um, at the skating rink. The girls were probably six or seven, and they were learning how to ice skate. And I was in the middle, and I had one kid on each side, and they fell over and over and over again. Every two or three seconds, they were falling, and I just kept, they were light enough that I just kept yanking them like this. So they never cast themselves headlong. They never crashed their forehead into the ice, but they just dangled. They just kept dangling and kept, and I was just thinking, just stay steady, Brian, because I'm like holding kids on one side, one side, one side. They're too big now. Can't do that. They fall now, okay, because I can't help them anymore. But God holds you by your hand that you not be cast down. There's no eternal casting down. Though you fall, it says in Proverbs, we went through Proverbs in, in Bible study, though you fall seven times, you'll never be cast down. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. God has got it. He knows what you're doing. And though you fall, it's not going to be an eternal fall. And it might hurt, and it might be awful, and it might ruin everybody's day. But God has got you. And then it says, The righteous shall inherit the land and dwell therein forever. Dwell therein forever. You're going to dwell forever. God has got you and you will dwell forever. 
there is not just security. It's different. Eternal security as a, as a, uh, as, um, a teaching, a doctrine, can be misunderstood because it's the idea that I can do as I please, but yet I'm still saved. No, that's, that's so different. If God is preserving you, then you will love God at the end the same as you love God now. That's preservation. Where it's not simply where it's not an insurance policy. A lot of people think it's like fire insurance. It's nothing like that at all. Are you trusting Christ? Then you're saved. Are you not trusting Christ no matter what you've done in the past? Then worry about it. Worry a lot. Are you trusting Christ? Then you're saved. God will keep you trusting, keep you trusting, keep you trusting, keep you trusting. And to the end, Jesus, the scariest thing he ever said is, if you, if you can keep it all the way to the end, you will be saved. Well, that's scary. Except that you will hold me so that I will not cast fault headlong. You're holding me, upholding me with your hand again. But the wicked shall be cast off. It's interesting. The last part says... The mouth of the righteous speaks wisdom, his tongue, judgment. The law of the God, Lord is in his heart. None of his steps slide. Do you remember what Jesus said that, that, what was it? Out of your heart, you'll speak. Your talk is based upon those things in your heart. Out of the abundance of your heart, you will speak. So if your heart's full of, of poison, you'll speak poison. In times of stress, you'll speak like you actually are. Where you're not watching yourself real carefully, you'll speak. So you will speak trust or you will speak not trust. Your real self will come out in times of stress, in times of, of panic. So that says that their tongue talks of judgment as God has transformed them. And here's the end. From 34 to the end, it's the salvation of the righteous. Wait in the Lord, keep his way. And he shall exalt thee to inherit the land. When the wicked are cut off, you shall see it. I don't know if you've read the end of Revelation. Before the evil are cast into the lake of fire, we will watch it happen. That's unbelievable. That, that there will be people more morally suited than I am, who I will watch be cast into the lake when I will be saved. From, from Christ's blood. That, that's amazing. Wait on the Lord. Wait, whatever that means. I mark the perfect man and behold the upright, for the end of that man is peace. Do you see it? There's salvation. There's peace. The transgressions should be destroyed altogether. The end of the wicked should be cut off. The salvation of the righteous is of the Lord. The salvation of the righteous is of the Lord. Salvation is something God does. And since God knows who God is and God knows what God can do and what he will do, and he's already determined to save you, it's the same as being saved. I can say I was saved, and I can say I am saved, and I can say I will be saved because God is the same God, present, past, and future. And what God has determined will happen. And the Lord will help them and deliver them. He shall deliver them from the wicked. Why are they wicked? Same reason they're barbells. There's barbells, because nobody likes them, but there's barbells and there's wicked, and God will use them both, and then he'll judge them. Amen? Amen.